Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. That's why we have the coronavirus. That's, that's Pat Roberts. Oh. <laughs> Scripture tells us. <laughs> it's all crystal clear, my friends. It's right there. <laughs> the whole sexual agenda is exactly why we're in this predicament. <laughs> I so wish I could put this on the show. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to be like, and welcome to episode. <laughs> and welcome to Hammer Factor episode 76. My name is John Grace, producer here at the show, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, Lewis Geltman, and co-owner of Immersion Research, John Weld. We're back. We're back quite quickly. We've got a very special guest on the show today um, to shed some light on the launch of a new kayak company. And until we get him on, what's been going on, fellas? Well, greetings from Maui again. <laughs> Sweet. How is it in Maui? It's, uh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. <clears throat> I got Hold I got on a sec. Gavir's walking up. What's up, bro? It's Dan Gavir. <laughs> what is that? No, noise? I'm recording the hammer factor. Is that your room with the crazy noise weld? What are we doing? That's the waves, bro. It's the waves. Oh, in Maui? Can you yeah. cut the waves? Can we cut the waves? Hold they on. don't even sound like waves. I'm talking to Gavir. Load the six foot board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other one. Uh, the one with the fins. Dude, we all know you're not there. in Maui, dude. You're not in Maui. <laughs> How long have you been planning that one? <laughs> You've been waiting to bust that one out for like since we recorded. Uh, uh, hold last on, I'll go. Year. I'll go back inside the lanai. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there we go. Let's get a little buggy out there anyway. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad Namaste overweathered the uh, the winter well. Well, it's no problem down here. <laughs> what have you guys been doing on the kayaking front well you haven't been kayaking Lewis did reiki. you go kayaking lots of reiki <laughs> I have a reiki sesh coming up this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> you must be quite excited about our special guest this is someone you've had a crush on pretty much since I've known you me? yeah so you, you know how you're talking to me just to be clear yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a crush? No. A fascination? Yes. No question. I mean, you know how Lewis was all giddy when we had Ben on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if that's how it's going to be on this show. Should we announce the name? Can we talk about who it is? Yep. We're, yep. Yep. I'll let you uh, spill the beans because I know you're. This is a whale. I landed a whale. It's EJ. EJ's coming on. Although. And you made this point when we were talking about this earlier, <clears throat> is he's not really part of the whitewater community, I mean, as of this moment, right? And what is that going to mean? Well, you, have to be mean? A, you have to be What's a whitewater that? business owner to be a part of the whitewater community now. 
Well, I mean, he's really transitioned out. But what's I mean, what's the industry going to look like post EJ? Is that is there going to is that a, like a, a noteworthy thing? Yeah, probably is. But do you think EJ is really not? You think he's really done with Whitewater? I mean, all of these questions and many more will be answered here shortly. Huh. Huh. Lewis, you've been doing any paddling? Not around here. It's like back to full dune status. It's, yeah, this is just, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm starting to ask a lot of questions about why I'm living here. But I knew um, it. I saw that coming. I think you cursed us, Weld. But I don't know. Went up to the North Fork last weekend. That was nice. Um, Tried to keep it pretty reclusive over there. Apparently, Banks is now coronavirus is ground zero, unsurprisingly. There's an outbreak. Yeah. Stoutmeister came back and said you guys saw some some pretty cavalier behavior out there last well, weekend. We, for sure. I mean, so, you know, I went through there like six weeks ago on the way to the South Salmon, and it was just like, you know, COVID did not exist as far as people hanging out in the Banks parking lot were concerned. And then, you know, went back over there this time around and just kept it. You know, like we were just taken out, you know, a little further down on the main than usual just to avoid the scene at the Banks Cafe and the scene in that big parking lot, camping up on the South Fork, just like keeping it chill. And I just heard, you know, right after I left that apparently there's like 25 raft guides and banks have COVID now. Oh, God. So when these people have COVID, are, are they sick or are they just tested positive? I don't know the answer to that. And like, I, I really like, I'm fascinated to dive into this more, but I don't want to just like spread rumors about what's going on out there. Cause it seems a little unfair, but I'm, it sounds, it also sounds like sort of the inevitable result of like totally cavalier attitude about it over there. I mean, to be honest, I can't see a raft guide getting tested just for no reason at all. Right. They got sicker than hell and went in and got a test and they came out positive. That's, right. That's certainly a reasonable working theory. <clears throat> Everyone I know who's gotten sick got sicker than hell. Like they felt like crap. Well, that's how they knew they were positive. I mean, how many people do you know that were positive that showed no symptoms? Yeah, good point. Good point. I mean, ah. that's, really, that's the nut of the confusion here, right? I mean, that's that is the reason this is so beguiling and just how many people are sick and don't know it. So this could be the first. Or not sick, but are contagious, but don't know it. What's that? I wonder if Banks is the first whitewater breakout. I don't know, but I mean, like we were just—I just ran into like Tyler down at the bakery this morning, and we just had the exact same conversation, which is just like you know, like if anybody in the whitewater community gets it, it's like the chances that it's just going to like rip through white salmon. I mean, I think we're being pretty careful around here, but. I mean, it's all relative and like, well, I mean, you, you, are... you, you were in the same car with Ian, right? Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I know your, your, your connections to people are greatly reduced. I mean, statistically yeah. speaking, seeing one thousandth of the number of people you came in contact with a year ago, but still. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You know, you know it's like, I, mean? I think we're all like clamped down somewhat, but like the number of people you have some, you know, hang on the car with or like have a beer with, it's not zero. And so I don't know. I mean, it's like all you can hope is that if somebody gets sick, we find out quickly and it, you know, like clamp down and nip it in the bud there. But it's like it's serious business, man. Like makes me nervous. And like, I think it's just going to get significantly worse to come. Uh, this winter is going to be just epic carnage. There's no doubt about it. Did you watch that video that the uh, 
our, our listener sent us. Yeah. <laughs> Which one was this? This is the... the I'm, I do not. Nobody should look this up, and nobody should watch it. But unless <laughs> your social media feed literally infested with <laughs> fake news stories, I think it's Russian agitprop. It's like, yeah, it was like COVID nine one one or something. And like I was expe- half expecting it to be some kind of like Reno nine one one QAnon parody, but it was in fact the real deal QAnon explication of how this is all some globalist conspiracy to. I don't know, enact the liberal agenda or something. It's it's just, you like watch this thing and it's like, I mean, it's pretty slickly put together and it's just like, it's just horrifying. And it's like this stuff is just spreading. Like it's like a, it's like there's an actual disease and then there's a social disease of just like fucking delusional idiocy. And like, I just... It's just horrifying. You like you watch this thing and you're just like 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 what is the world coming to, man? Like I just it's horrifying. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't we don't need to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it's like I don't know what you do about something like that. I mean, it's just it's just horrifying. Like how do you like help people who've fallen under the spell of this nonsense? How do you like prevent it from getting worse? What do you do about somebody who's you know, openly advocating for this stuff, which is plainly, you know, gone from beyond silliness to, you know, like a public health crisis. Like there are people in our community who are advocating aggressively that other people not wear masks because it's some like, I mean, it's like, are you out there like advocating that nobody wash their hands after they take a shit? Like, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Man? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you how you fix it, Lewis. Is you get LWCF passed. We get more outdoor locations. Get people unplugged from their computers so they can actually have some balance in the serotonin levels of their brain. If things come down to a wire, we need to talk, talk about this, by the way. But if things come down to a wire with this with this bill next week, are you do you have a contingency plan to bring in Grace at the last minute? If what? I got to go up there and close this thing, I'll do it. You just have to let me know. Do it, man. Who's your Who's your member of Congress now that Meadows has gone on to bigger and better things? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know who took his place. I mean, McHenry is is our representative, but <sighs> I don't even well, know. Well, you live you live right down the street from old Greg Walden, who's on the fence on this, per the latest. He's yeah. on the fence now. Talk about yeah, this. You need to knock on his door and tell him what's up, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we're gonna. We're, well, I'll dress him for sure. What, what's his deal with being on the fence? I don't know with him specifically. Um, what would you guess or his argument is? Is there something weird attached to this bill or something? Like, so what, let me, what? let's let's briefly summarize here for folks. I mean, we've been talking about this on the podcast forever, but the Great American Outdoors Act is um, a bill comprising permanent dedicated funding for the land and water conservation fund and funding for deferred maintenance on public lands. Um, both of those things we've been working on for an unholy long time. There are people who spent their entire careers working on getting dedicated funding for LWCF. We got this thing through the Senate about a month ago and house vote is slated for next Wednesday, July 22nd. And Things are looking good. It would be really snatching defeat from the jaws of victory here if we let this thing go sideways somehow, but we're looking pretty good. That said, 
getting more Republicans in support of this thing will help us ensure that this crosses the finish line in good shape. Um, so particularly kind of like moderate, gettable Republicans, if that describes your member of Congress, like please drop the line this week. Uh, there's a big tool to do that right on the front page of outdooralliance.org. Please check it out and do it. And member um, falls in that camp, right? Well, I mean, you know, this should not be that controversial. Meadows is not in Congress anymore. He's Trump's chief of staff now. Trump. Oh, no, no, not Meadows. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Walton. Walton, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for sure, the deferred maintenance part of the bill has much more Republican support. Um, LWCF is a little bit, you know, more mixed feelings in the Republican caucus. One Republican member I spoke with in Utah about this his sense is that he really generally likes LWCF, but what this bill does is, you know, every year LWCF collects $900 million in revenue from offshore oil and gas leasing royalties. And right now that $900 million just sits there until Congress appropriates it. And so most years Congress only spends about half of the $900 million on the purposes, you know, that that money is there for. Trump had earlier proposed this year reducing it to basically zero. And what this bill would do is make that $900 million spending, uh, $900 million of spending every year automatic. So the money just goes to the land management agencies without any particular action from Congress. And so a lot of Republicans really, even if they are generally on board with LWCF or, or spending on conservation and recreation priorities, they really dislike the mandatory spending aspect of this. They just want to make sure that Congress is is deciding every year whether or not to spend the money or not. And they just want to maintain that control. Yeah, exactly. And like there's and I think that's a like a philosophical position for a lot of members of Congress. And so that's kind of a tough hurdle to get over. I think generally, you know, the way I was responding to that with this member of Congress's office I was speaking with was to say, look, you know, like there's absolutely a continued role for Congress in overseeing how this money gets spent. There should be committee oversight hearings every year in which you, you know, bring up the, the heads of the land management agencies and have them explain how they're spending the money, why they're spending it that way. That is like entirely appropriate. But you know, the track record, the fact that $900 million comes in every year and approximately $450 million goes out year after year after year after year after year. Like this is, you know, you guys are falling down on your responsibility to fill the fulfill the promises of this program and you guys are not doing that. So we need it's time to make a change here. But, you know, for Congress to stay involved in like overseeing how that money gets spent, like that's that's appropriate. And there are avenues to do that that remain. Demand it. Go to OutdoorAlliance.org, demand it, especially if you have a Republican representative. I believe that that is truthful, correct, Lewis? This is where, you know, if you have the opportunity to influence your Republican um, legislator, do it. Demand it. We need more there, space. We need more fresh air. We need more exercise. Come on. Are there going to be some Democrats out there who are going to balk at this just because Trump's pushing it? No, I don't think so. I would be very surprised. I would, I would expect every Democrat to vote in favor of this. Maybe you might lose one or two, but I'd be surprised. Oh, I hope it happens. Six days. Six days. That's nothing. 
That's when it happens. You got six days. If you're listening to the show, just take a minute. Just take a minute. Just take a minute. If you're listening to this, you probably don't have six days. You probably have <laughs> twenty minutes. <laughs> it probably it probably happened last week. I'm sorry. Now, but... <laughs> oh, oh man, thanks for that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of public lands, we had a big enduro mountain bike race down at the green this weekend. It was pretty cool. We uh, managed to keep everybody distant and do everything in one-minute intervals. We had some absolute heavy hitters. Previous national downhill champion, um, Garrett Paydahl, won it. Uh, we have the national motocross enduro champion, got second. This guy, Russell Bobbitt. Um, people were stoked to get out and recreate and do something and just enjoy being outside on public lands. and just They're just so sick. So. That's sick, man. Did you race? No, I was putting the whole thing on, but um, but it was a good race. I mean, it was really, really tight. We got this thing where we put in a new trail on this uh, piece of private property where the event's held at, and so the last 300 feet is a blind finish, so no one knows what the trail's going to be. They can't practice on it or anything. So that uh, no, was epic. Moving on, we are going to mix it up a little bit here because we got about 20 minutes until we get Mr. Eric Jackson on the show here. And we're going to just jump right into some listener mail. Is that all right with you guys? Um, Y'all. Let's go right into Joey's message. Joey says, hey, y'all, catching up on the new episodes that have come out since the pandemic. Glad to hear some new material from the Hammer Factor. Was listening to episode 74 and the discussion of diversity and paddling. I was wondering if you all had reached out to Adam Edwards and Faith Briggs to come on and discuss um, the work they have been doing with the Just Add Water project. And there's an attached link that I'll put in the show notes. It's really great and speaks to several issues related to diversity in paddle sports. Would really like to hear their perspective on the hammer factor. Keep up the good work, Joey. Um, they, yeah, <clears throat> their names have come up a couple from a couple of different folks. I know Adam and Faith, they're awesome. And it would be sick to have them on. So I'm, I'm keen to reach out and see if they're interested. And thanks for sending this our way because I had no idea this even existed, this Just Add Water project. So hmm. anyway, I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes, and I think you'll probably hear them on the Hammer Factor at some time in the near future. Moving on, we got Leanna who sent the kooky video. <laughs> <laughs> should I put the link in the show notes to that, or should I just no, let, it, let it disappear? Do not. Do not put that in the it's, show Is Leanna you? John Grace? No, Leanna's not me. You guys are calling me all sorts of things. And I, it's not me. This just came in. I forwarded it to you guys. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. I don't messenger. believe you. Anyway, it's like somebody wearing a mask with COVID. It's just going to end the chain right there at the Hammer Factor. Can I ask you a question about, about what's the, let's suppose, I don't want to backtrack too much here, but let's suppose a paddler, God forbid, in, in Idaho, working on the North Fork or whoever, gets sick and dies from COVID. What is the correct response from the community that by and large ignored the virus and led to this situation? Like, what do they do? Do they, is there a mea culpa? Is there a big ceremony? Like, how do they, you know, do you feel like there's a joint responsibility there? I mean, it's, I mean, like, let's just hope that doesn't happen. It would be sad. And I mean, I don't know, it's something I've been thinking about a bunch with regard to this. It's just, 
you just like the social dynamics around all of this stuff. Right. And it's like, I think that we in some ways have it especially hard as a community that really values risk-taking in a lot of ways. Right. Exactly. And it's like, we're just like in such a, like, like a pure pressure kind of setting. And it's like if one or two people like are not wearing masks and all of a sudden it just like feels uncool to everybody else to not do it, or it just like gets normalized or just to be, you know, generally casual about it. It's like, we're just like in such a community where it's like, like the worst thing that you can do is to like be a pussy about something. And it's like, we got, <laughs> I think we just like need to like collectively like reckon with that dynamic in this, this setting, you know, and just like, it's really important that the people who are sort of community leaders and paddling set a good example on this so that, you know, like young kids who are, trying to be cool and trying to make a name for themselves and paddling or whatever, don't see, you know, the, the, the way to, to achieve that is to be casual about something that's, you know, it's not just putting yourself at risk. It's like the bigger deal is way more, you know, putting your friends, your neighbors, your family, your community at risk. And it's like, you know, it's like, like you can be cavalier about your own safety, but you're still going to carry a throw bag, you know, and like be cautious about you know the safety of everybody else and like take this shit seriously what's your thoughts on that question well i don't know i don't know like if, so, if a paddler drowns it's it's a it's a you know it's it's a event that brings people together you know um and i think lewis's you know analogy to like a throw rope in a boat is is correct you know it's a good one um I have no idea. I really don't. We got to get somebody from Banks on to give us an on the ground, um, you know, play by play with what's going on there. Yeah, seriously. <clears throat> Andrew anyway. writes in, "Hey, Hammer Factory, um, I finally saved up enough uh, cash for a dry suit. I've opted out of the convenience of Amazon and would like to make my purchase from a retailer who supports the paddling industry." Any suggestions? Thanks, Andrew Meffert. I'm going to say go with CKS, Hammer Factor Advertiser, on that one. I can't really recommend a store because we deal with lots of good ones. I was hoping you were going <laughs> to. I can't, I can't pick favorites here. I think good general advice. First of all, dry suits are hard to stock for retailers. You know, A lot of people are frustrated because they go in and a retailer does not want to stock dry suits. It's understandable because these are expensive, high-ticket items. and. They're particular, and you know it's it's not the easiest to do. The best situation, the best consumer experience for buying a dry suit is where you can try on multiple sizes from multiple manufacturers, because you know do your research and, and read their reviews to figure out who makes a reliable dry suit has a good customer service. I personally recommend a company that that has repair facilities that are easy to uh, to get to. Um, cause dry suits, no matter how well you take care of it, at some point you're going to need servicing and it's not always the easiest thing to do, um, on your own, but the best customer experience is in a retail store for something like a dry suit and a spray skirt for that matter, for that matter, but a dry suit where you can find one that fits just right. Um, and has the features you want. Who do you think in your opinion, well, holds the biggest inventory of dry suits of dry suits? Uh, I'd say NOC like. No, it's too warm. Next Adventure would come to mind in okay. Portland. Okay. There's a guy up in, um, he's not one of our retailers, but uh, Kayak Academy? Is that is that the guy? 
he's a he's a he's a coke attack guy. Where, where somewhere right here, so, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, that would be where you'd see the most dry suits because it's mandatory. It's kind of a most... mandatory piece of gear. Yeah. Andrew also comes back at us with another um, email. He says, "Hey, Hammer Factor, any advice for those who are passionate about whitewater kayaking but are three plus hours away from the closest class four? That's tough. Start liking flat water. Yeah, you got to move. Yep. <clears throat> right. Unfortunately, you got to move. Um, or, you know, try and get your kicks on flat water, but that's so hard to do. Listen, everyone's working from home now, as, ev as evidenced by how many people from out of state are moving to Hood River now. And white <laughs> salmon, for that matter. Uh, so, work from home. Move to, uh, well, don't move here. <laughs> You guys haven't had whitewater for like three years, have you? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> if you really love whitewater, move to West Virginia. That's my opinion. It's cheap. It rains all the time. Somewhere between West Virginia and Asheville. Somewhere in that corridor, right? It hasn't quit raining for a long, long time here. So, yeah. I mean, the kayak is warm. You can paddle the t-shirt during the summer. Even if you could just find some class two, some good strong eddy lines, you can keep yourself entertained. But flat water, it is so hard to stay excited on flat water. You got it. I mean, if you really want to improve and you don't have ready access to white water, like you got to do it. You got to just like go out and get get into working on your forward stroke, do stroke mobility drills, like. It's like, just like, you got to just think of it like going to the gym and like, you know, I mean, you're not going to do it with the but same enthusiasm that you do to running the shit, but, but like, you're you preparing go for that day when you move. That's what you're preparing for. And you're ready. Hit the street, hit the, hit the ground running. Ah, oh, it's just so hard. You got to move. You got to move. That's what I'm going to tell you, <laughs> Andrew. You got to move. <laughs> That's your official hammer factor advice. Um... From Q Anonymous. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to read this one. That one goes too far off the rails there. <laughs> uh, Wait a minute. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. Here's a good one. Uh, Dan Gertie writes in. Dan has wrote into the Hammer Factor before. Appreciate all of the emails, guys. Uh, the potential for composite boats to break in whitewater seems like a real problem from a design standpoint. But what about squirt boats? They have been composite forever. Good point. What? The squirt boaters have got it figured out. They're out there crushing it <laughs> in composite. Listen, that's not really... I mean, that's an observation, but there's no information to be gleaned from this whatsoever. <laughs> 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 There's eight or ten people who squirt boat, yes. No one's going to tool a squirt boat, for not, not only for financial reasons, but because I don't think you can make a sharp, that sharp of an edge in a squirt boat. You know, um, you they, know... Don't bang them, they don't bang them on rocks. They just sit there in eddy lines and go underwater. I mean, it's not really... And they're super heavy for, you know, for what they it, are. Like, squirt boats one... are, 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 like, the most... Yeah. Like, they're, ant... like... Like, they're like, the most basic old school rendition of composite technology. And I think what we're interested in is whether the, the state of the art has advanced to a point that they would be viable for whitewater. And I mean, if you build a Creek boat in the same sort of layups that you get with a squirt boat, like it would, 
it would suck. Like it yeah. would. It would you imagine like a like a ten over twelve cap and glass creek boat. <laughs> it would weigh it would weigh like 90 pounds well i'm like the only person who understood that <laughs> you know where i think a good financial opportunity is in whitewater <laughs> yes i do <laughs> i think that, i think that squirt squirt <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I think that I'm going to turn the wave the wave soundtrack back on again, just to <laughs> decompress for a little bit. I think that squirt boating spray skirts, squirt boating spray skirts, could be a big opportunity. Speaking of which, your buddy Will Lyons, Slick Will, uh, yeah, who uh, used to work for you, I think, right? He's oh, one yeah. of the. Oh, yeah. He's one of the Hammer Factor, or not Hammer Factor, uh, uh, LVM intern alumni, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the few scared. Anyway, he wrote me. He wants to make, <laughs> make, make spray skirts for squirt boaters. Cash he was, money. He was, he was like, can you help me? I'm like, I'll help you, brother. But it's, you know, I mean, there's a reason why there's been a million people who started making these things and zero people ever keep making them. Um I was at the Noli two weekends ago, and there were 25 squirt motors at Cowbells. That's all of them. You saw them. <laughs> <laughs> it was sick, man. It was sick. I think squirt. I think squirt motoring is coming back. I'm telling you, I think it's coming back, and I think they're going to bring the technology with them. Coming back? When was? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's let's keep going because there's more to this there's more to this composite conversation that's more relevant than, yeah, than yeah, yeah, yeah. Um This comes at us from Liam Liam H. He says, "I firmly believe that composite whitewater boats are possible. Why? Because there's already a composite creek boat available. The Shinobi is made by Gigiprod and is 33 pounds, eight feet, ten inches long, carbon fiber Kevlar creek boat." With the incredible amount of knowledge and skill from the guys at Apex Watercraft team, I have mm. no doubt that some truly groundbreaking whitewater design is coming. I mean, come on. Are EJ and Pat Keller really going to work together and not make something incredible? And he's got a link here to the boat. I checked this boat out. I don't know if they're selling any of these boats, but it looks pretty sweet. It has an immersion research adjustable backband, John. Yeah, so obviously these guys are your clients. <clears throat> Have you consulted with them about this boat? What do you know about uh, it? I don't think it's the answer. I just don't think it. I don't think composites are strong enough. You don't think so? Well, I mean, we're gonna have to ask EJ about that because I think you're wrong, Weld. I think it's just that I think my it's man too expensive. I think my man Ryan is onto something. I think he's he's right about this. Well, hang on, we'll get to Ryan here in just a second, but first. I mean, with new technologies, the seamless designs, some of the ways these boats are being built, you don't... Th I mean, it's always the seam that's been the problem in the composite boats. Am I right? And if you can get that one thing out of the, the equation... Seam? Yeah. No, you, you hit a rock and you crack your boat. Or you, you beat up the bottom of the boat and it just gets toweled up and soft and, and uh, you know, as malleable as a worn-out plastic boat. I think Wee Wee Prod Boat has some unfortunate accents of Flying Squirrel. What do you mean? Like it looks like the Flying Squirrel. Well, like I'll, the, 
Oh. Volume all the way to the tip of the stern. Like, it just the design looks dubious to me. Well, outside of the design, it's a cool looking boat. 33 pounds. You can't argue with that. All right, you know what? You guys keep paddling your plastic barges, and I'm going to get you, in man. something high performance here. I'm not saying there's an alternative. I just don't think it's in traditional composites. I, I just don't think that's the, that's the thing. And do you feel like. Well, let's move on to Ryan. Ryan Stevenson right. writes in. <clears throat> yes. And this is a good, there's there's a lot of nuggets, value bombs in this little guy. Ryan Stevenson, howdy boys, traditional carbon fiber composites, a.k.a. thermosets, are not, and he has that capitalized, the way forward with boat materials. You can add as much material as you want, but you would add a lot of weight to combat pitoning that shit in half. Here's exactly. The here's the future. Continuous fiber reinforced thermoplastics with a Boom. cool little CFRTP after it. This is the newest hot shit that Boeing and a lot of aerospace companies are now using in their planes. It basically adds carbon fiber or fiberglass fibers into engineered plastics. Sounds really cool, such as polypropylene, nylon, polycarbonate, whatever. The bike industry has already begun using this stuff. Really cool link I'll put into the show notes. You can keep weights down and greatly increase impact resistance over typical carbon fiber parts. It would be an ideal fit for whitewater boats and would greatly reduce the occurrence of cracking boats. There would probably be some weight savings because of this. Did I mention it's recyclable? Thermoset carbon fiber parts are left in landfills for eons. Uh, real good point. What's the catch? Manufacturing, manufacturing technology is not up to snuff for it. It has been around a long time, but the industry is only relatively recently throwing a lot of resources at it for mass production. If a boat manufacturer could produce a boat with this stuff, it would be revolutionary. Side note, tell your kayaking industry friends, partners to hit up Bink and Seller I to chat more about it at atlasdesignhouse.com. It looks like these boys have got a design firm that they've started up. I mean, what say you, Weld? I think he's right. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of problems, not only in terms of the cost of the process, which is way beyond Whitewater's budget right now, but um, you know, I think even Look Liquid Logic played around with something similar to this a few years ago. Yeah, with Millican, they had a partnership with Millican, and Millican yeah. threw hundreds of thousands of dollars at this. But yeah. that was for the like thermoformed boats, right? Or they did they do something with legit thermoplastics? No, no this was like a thermopress weaved thermoplastic boat it was similar to what they're talking about i'm no expert but it looked very similar yeah and they had a problem with the abrasion was their big was their achilles heel with that one right exactly like the boat was really strong and it worked really well and it did not crack i mean you could just take a hammer and beat the bejeebies out of it and it would never break but when you started wearing it over rocks and whatnot the fibers broke down too quickly so I, I just my gut feeling I'm not an expert my gut feeling is this is the avenue under which the, you know you see a new boat material yeah I, I would just love to see something I, I, I tend to agree with you almost well that carbon's not the way I mean I don't I'm no expert on the design process but I would love to see something else in this sport before I'm too old to do it <laughs> seriously you know I mean oh, well, I mean, one thing you have to contend with is that we're at a low point now in terms of resources being put into whitewater. You, you know, I mean, Johnson isn't about to spend a bunch of money developing a whitewater boat. Yeah, we got Johnson. We got Pelican. Yeah, Pelican. We got 
Maybe maybe Apex. What's Johnson? They're one of the big conglomerates. Who do Johnson they own? Outdoors. <clears throat> Whitewater wise, who do they own? I don't know. They used to own Necky, but they 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 sank that. I miss Necky. I always thought they were cool boats. Yeah. Very uh, surfy. Um Well, we've got several different things to to, to get through here, but real quick before we add on EJ, there is a whitewater race that's getting <laughs> ready to happen that Hammer Factor is throwing their weight behind. Oh, really? Huh? Indeed. 40 years. 40 years. The Upper Yacht Race has been going on. And we're going to bring in race director for the Upper Yacht, Carol Weld, here for just a minute before we get EJ on to talk about this event. She has some pretty lofty goals about getting 40, uh, 40 ladies up to the start line. And let's see how she's going to do the race. And welcome to the Hammer Factor co-owner of Immersion Research, Kara Weld. Hey, can you guys hear me? Ah, uh, oh, looky there. What's we up, got Kara. Kara's here hey, in Maui with me. <laughs> how was the uh, hot stone detox, babe? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do tell. How was it? This again. <laughs> so, well, yeah. so Kara, you're in your 40th year here at the race. Tell us what what's new, what's going on, and uh, yeah, just fill us in. Right, 40 years. It's a long time, and we um, we're anticipating this big event, which has been toned way down to just kayaking, which. Really, it's what it's all about anyhow. So, I mean, in terms of removing the party and that kind of thing. Right. So we're having no party, no award ceremony, um, no beers at the takeout. Uh, it's simply going to be 60-second starts and, um, and, and about the race. Uh, <clears throat> it was that or, or no race, right? So how are you doing? How are you signing everybody up and giving them right. their bib numbers and all that? Exactly. So our registration is all online. Um, it closes on uh, the 22nd Wednesday, but we are um, almost at capacity. Really? Uh, yes. To be clear, be, be clear, guys, I have nothing to do with this race. I'm asking <laughs> questions I legitimately do not know. Kara runs this race. Yeah, we we run this race, and you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what up? <laughs> what, uh, how, what's capacity? Like, what's capacity? Uh, well, that's a good question. How many you got towing up? Okay, so IR and Wilderness Voyagers is the co-sponsor. We've been running this race um, for since I think 2012. We've been fluctuating between 54 to almost 70 competitors um, over up until this year. Right now we're at 92. That is, <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we have, um, yeah, we, yeah, the whole. We were gonna have to actually because of the water and 60 second intervals, we're gonna have to cut off registration at 100 boats. So uh -huh. that means just you won't have time to get everybody started before the last guys are out of water right. right okay okay all right so 100 okay if you want to do the race go to where do you sign up for this race 
Right. You go to, John made it easy for me. It's actually pretty easy. Um, the easiest way to find it is to go to tinyurl.com slash upper yawk. Okay. I made it. I made a short link. <laughs> cool. That's what I did. That's what I brought to the table. He did. Actually, he did help. Look at that. Are you going to, are you going to track and retarget some people with some IR ads with this tiny URL link? <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, that's like, we're yeah, all about like, that. that. We have a whole team of people doing just that. <laughs> yeah, so we um, one of the big things this year is we set a goal to um, we want I've always want to increase women's participation in this race since I started racing, you know, a hundred years ago, and um, the most we've ever had have been twelve women which was a big deal like back in the, I don't know, late eighties. <laughs> and we've never gotten more women than that. So, um, dirty dozen. Yeah. And we, um, uh, just, I don't know, which was a random thought, 40 years, 40 women. Let's see if we can get 40 women. And we are at 29. Ah, that's incredible. Yeah. Super psyched about that. And, and just seeing, how pumped people are about it, encouraging their friends, you know, every year I like encourage your friends, encourage your friends, but I don't know, just simply setting some kind of goal, um, seems to have helped. Um, we also have the biggest junior class that we've ever had. And, and these are some young juniors, which is really exciting. Um, and they run the river all the time. They're solid. Kind of like what you guys have seen with the green race. I think. Do you have a, uh, age cutoff for your juniors, Kara? That has not come up yet. Um, okay. Yeah, we do have a dad that's going to escort um, some kids, which is totally fine. Um, yeah. So the the nice thing about the Upper Yak, a lot of nice things about the Upper Yak, warm water, lots of boobs, um, is that you've got in terms of social distancing, you've got about a mile and a half flat water to the put in to to the start, and a mile and a half out to the takeout from the finish line so there's tons of room to spread out um it's really easy to protect our starter we're going to put some yellow tape and we've got someone there just to keep people away from him um and same with our finish line um that's where a lot of people hang out with well, a hang out both places but the finish line people tend to gather we're going to encourage them to catch their breath and then just keep floating on down stream um Registration, like I said, is um, all online and is closed Wednesday before the race. Everyone will get an email with the start list so they'll know their start time. And we're going to ask them not to show up more than five or ten minutes before your start so we don't have too many people gathering. Um, and, and no sign up at, on the day. No sign up on the day. You are done on Wednesday at noon. Um yeah, and then bib pickout, we're going to have somebody doing, basically tossing your bib and your t-shirt and, and go. Sick. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Racing is here, and it is here to stay. We need to get some composite kayaks out there racing. We just You know, there was, them. you know, traditionally the Upper Yacht Race has had some wild water boats race, like full length. Yeah. Boats. We haven't seen that in years like maybe eight or nine years the dynamic there is one person has to do it and then there's three or four other people who can do it will step up but no one's jumping and 
jumping up uh, <laughs> in line to make that happen. That was what you know, like Andrew was saying that he, you know, at the last year he was there, he was like the only person who even wanted to race a wild water boat. And so he was like, well, I'll just race. I'll race Tornado just so I'm competitive. If Andrew races, if Andrew races a composite, what makes it known? There would be three or four other people who could get a composite race boat or composite DR boat down that river. So that's my my next question for Kara is is who you got? Who's gonna who's gonna take it down this year? Ian's out here. Andrew's out here. I think Calhoun's out here. No, Calhoun is registered. Making a cross country trip to. I think Nori. This is I don't know. He's registered, and there been there's been a wild water boat sighting in town. I heard so. And who's who's gonna take down the women's class? You reckon? Right. So we've got some two previous the last two year previous women winner win, women's winners are not registered. Um, is Mackenzie racing? Mackenzie is. She's she's struggling. She's a nurse. She lives in North Carolina. She knows she can safely do the race, but you know, there's a lot of people struggling with like, is this the right thing to do um, to gather and race? And she's she's seeing this firsthand every day, and she's not messing around. And and we hope nobody is. I mean, that's our goal is that anybody that's racing can feel incredibly safe. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that happens. And those that are a little loose about that, we hope that you guys think twice about that and um, certainly respect everybody else and 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 be be as careful as you can. Uh, word it word is the Upper Yacht's been a pretty loose place for hanging out on the river in groups. Um, hmm. It's like a gigantic yeah. COVID cloud at, at Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even you can't see Thomas Cole as you approach. It's sort of like a big mist. You know, at least on race day, you have a nice little bubble. You have a minute in front of you and a minute behind you, right? Well, everybody has their own comfort level, regardless. Mm -hmm. Go out and race. We, we, you know, nobody gets sick from going outside and exercising. Just do it responsibly. Right. Exactly. No reason why we can't do it here. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And thank you, Kara Weld. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Kara. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Keep us going here so I don't have to edit anything out while I bring EJ onto the show. Well, what was your best result at Rock Race? Second. I was in the, the heat. I was in the middle of the Roger Zabel era where he was pretty unbeatable. But we all raced full-length DR boats. Like, to be competitive in my era, you had to be in a full-length DR boat. What, what was your... Like, Do you think that's what killed the race? To... What's oh, that? Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, guys. What was, so, your, what was your practice lap to boat patching session ratio? Um, <laughs> I had it pretty wired. I had it pretty wired. You got it dialed with, like, a wave hopper. You got all the lines dialed with a wave hopper. Which is not quite. I mean, the wave hopper is really nowhere close to a DR boat. Um, the only time, and then I raced a full length DR boat probably, I'd say maybe six times. And the only time I really screwed up was I tried to, I, I went far left. This is totally inside baseball. I went totally, I went really far left, a triple drop. Oh, Charlie's Choice. I went really far left to Charlie's Choice and pitoned a rock so bad, I slipped, literally slid up to my neck into the spray skirt 
<laughs> you could do that in a DR boat. I mean, on my foot feet went past the foot pegs. I was screaming down triple draw or uh, Charlie's choice in my DR boat, literally up to my neck in the spray skirt, like up to my armpits down. Into the cockpit <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. But 20. Oh shit. What was my fastest time? Tw- low 29s was my fastest time. And you could you could hit you could easily break thirty in a da- downriver boat if you didn't eddy out and didn't piton. That's that's a manageable number. What's and the I think crux? Zabel, What's the I crux? think Zabel was like twenty seven, twenty eight minutes. Mm-hmm. There he is. All right. Well, right, welcome to the show. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Many time world freestyle champion, founder of Jackson Kayaks, and recent founder of Apex Kayaks. Welcome to the show, Eric Jackson. Hi, Lewis. Hi, John. <laughs> what is? Are you drinking oh a beer? It's like, I don't know. Um, well, looking at John and Lewis, it's like Washington D.C. sense to Maryland, eighties and nineties. Right. EJ. And John Grace is just kind of like, I don't know, whatever the last twenty years. Um... <laughs> EJ, I just got to tell you, John Weld is like. As giddy as can be to have you on the show here. I just gotta, I just gotta go ahead and preface this. You're one of his heroes. Just, just admit <laughs> it. Well, just admit it. I mean, is there a more influential, controversial, interesting, interesting. person in Whitewater than, than Eric Jackson? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. And this I, is this is a show about about whitewater kayaking, right? Uh, yeah. Enough uh, yeah. said. So John Weld interviewed me in 1993. For Asia, oh my God, it's like classic. Somehow that came up. Uh, so when I, I forgot about that and I saw that and it was like, I totally forgot about that. Holy shit. It was like one of the best written interviews that I've ever seen. Like I was like, you must have done really good in school, man. Really well in school. Uh, school really good. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, EJ. I know you got a lot going on right now. Um, let's just get right into it. Yeah. Where, where did the Apex idea come from? Uh, you mean, well, you mean the concept of the, the, the company or the product, or what do you mean? Just the brand and the carbon kayak, and just you know, just the just the entire the entire company thing. itself. Uh. I mean, I wanted to make carbon fishing kayaks back when, um, specifically when I was at Jackson Kayak, but we, you know, we are a road molding facility there, and uh, the people, you know, the production people, we had people that were qualified to do composite boats, you know, Tony Lee and John Shepard. John Shepard made squirt boats for wilderness systems and touring boats and stuff like that that were car- or composite fiberglass, Kevlar, whatever. Tony Lee, same thing at Dagger, making composite boats. We had skill sets at Jackson Kayak that could do it. But those guys had done it before and didn't want to get into composites, so we never ended up doing composites there. And when I'm, So when I left Jackson Kayak, um, I just basically thought about, okay, what is it I haven't done that I really want to do? And, um, well, I want to do things that nobody had ever done before, of course. So... Um, uh, this is what, um, so the brand Apex, I wanted to do a lightweight fishing kayak to start, high-performance fishing kayak. Um, you know, uh, we've had dealer summits at Jackson Kayak every year, and 
and you say, hey, guys, if you were to do anything different, what would you do? It would be like, make lightweight boats. The boats are too heavy. <laughs> and it was like, okay. And then next year, make lightweight boats. The boats are too heavy. <laughs> and then these fishing kayaks aren't made by all, you know, aren't being paddled by 20-year-olds that are athletes. A lot, a lot of them are, you know, grandpa that's like got bad knees and bad back, you know, 70 years old. And, and he goes like, oh, like... How's he going to get a 100-pound fishing kayak on the roof racks? Well, guess what? He's not. So what are they? They have trailers and they have boat ramps. And it's like, what's the point of kayak fishing if you're going to have to put a trailer and a boat ramp? You might as well do it like I do and have a 250-horsepower revenue route on the back and go 70 miles an hour. Right? It's way cooler. <laughs> you're going to go to a boat ramp. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of where it came from is, number one, lightweight. And then there's... There's 37 brands making fishing kayaks out of rotomolded plastic now. Um, when we did the first Kusa, there was just a couple brands making fishing kayaks, but they weren't even fishing kayaks. They were recreational kayaks that they would add rod holders to, right? So anyway, the fishing kayak market just exploded and got bombarded all these brands and whatever. But if you look at them, they're all going like this. J.G. Sedgers' tails are all pretty similar. Anyway, um, the Apex, I just had things that I've wanted to do, and this is my vision of the next generation fishing kayak, I guess. Let's take a step back, because we have to discuss this. You, I mean, you're no longer with Jackson Kayak. This whole thing is because you're no longer with Jackson Kayak, or part of it is, at least. What, I mean, what what happened there? What's the story? The, uh, uh, basically, um, in a nutshell, I'm no longer a majority owner of the company, and, um, uh, this guy, uh, my partner hired this guy that's super awesome. He's um, uh, Peter Housen. He's now running the company. He's um, president and CEO. Um, good guy. He's a good guy. Would have been a good guy to have in the business before. Um, but I didn't start a kayak company and not be in charge of it. You know what I mean? So um, uh, so either I'm, I'd rather start over than, you know, be an employee of a company that says Jackson Kayak on the side. Put it that way. So, you know, you started Jackson as a whitewater brand, and there was a time at which you'd say you were only going to make whitewater kayaks, and over time that changed, obviously. And I even you personally make whitewater kayaks, not once. What's that? What's that? I never, in my history of my life, I never said we would only make whitewater kayaks that I'm aware of. Yeah. I, will explain, I will tell you what I've always said Yeah. when I started the company. What I always said is we'll only make whitewater kayaks until we are the number one brand, and I'm completely confident that I can maintain the number one position in the marketplace as a whitewater company yeah. and divert my energies into other categories too. That was the line I always took. And in 2007, I was second year being number one. I was pretty confident looking at it that we could maintain that number one position and get into um, recreation or fishing or whatever. And, but you personally, you personally, I mean, you became more of a kayak fishing guy over the past 10 years. I mean, that was a transition I've been watching from the sidelines. Um, and would you say that's true? I'm becoming more of a. What do you mean? Enough, more? Fishing, more efficient. You, you're more into fishing than you are whitewater. It seems like. Uh, I do. I probably spend a hundred days a year in a whitewater boat and a hundred days a year uh, fishing. I probably spend a hundred and. Yeah, I'd probably do. I don't know. I haven't counted exactly, but I'm about 50-50, whether I'm in a whitewater boat or fishing. I mean, I did 
I did some good back free wheels off the waterfalls and ran Civ City, you know, in a new boat um, yesterday and um, uh, running white water and whatever. But I'm definitely not doing, I'm not like training and doing what I was doing before. I mean, I am training. See, like, well, <laughs> like I just did. Um, <laughs> You're still shredded, I just, dude. <laughs> I just did. Uh, I just did a 20-minute endurance paddle in a slalom boat, and then I did 60-second sprints. Lewis would appreciate this, and I did 30-second sprints. Like, <laughs> like right now, I'm ready to go to U.S. team trials for slalom or freestyle trials. Like I'm trained up, but I just, but technique-wise, like I need anyway. So I'm not, I'm not solely focused on that at all. I'm just kind of maintaining and whatever while I'm pursuing my fishing dream as well. So would you consider making a whitewater boat? out of composite oh absolutely of course i would yeah what do you think yeah. that, i mean did you what i mean i think the big limitations would be cost and then they're just too delicate right i mean traditional composites means uh, they, it's like anything you know um if you live in washington where lewis comes from or where you came from where we lived for a while anyway you're very aware there's people that only wanted to paddle composites on the potomac right yeah. you know you go to rocky island all they paddle is this cut off slalom boat or a slalom boat or some kind of composite boat they didn't ever want to paddle plastic boats but that's a now, niche of a small I'm a sport plastic i'm a big fan of plastic boats um because of the just the the nature of them the durability they're they're amazing for they're they're the best material overall for for white water in most situations but at the same time there's absolutely a market for composite you know, every type of, of boat that's made out there, um, there's plenty of applications for a composite boat, and the performance um, is always going to be higher, um, unless just pure beating on the rocks, you know, like super steep creek, manky stuff. It's just not fun paddling a composite boat. It just hurts. That soft impact, you know, that bending when it hits rocks is is really nice. You know, I, the first wave sport creek boat that I did was the Y, and we made it out of John Jaycox made it, yeah. and we took it to California. Oh my God, it was just terrible. It was like <laughs> bouncing down these slides. You're like, ah! And like, who wants to take it down another lap? Ah! Oh. <laughs> so, so, go ahead. So, EJ, this boat, your new boat, um, it's got some super interesting designs and features that no other boat in the flat water or fishing market or whatnot has specifically it's got this kind of crazy bow on it it's got the open deck in the back getting rid of the scupper holes where did all of that come from i mean it's just completely different than anything else out there like how did, how did you guys come up with that looking boat the the total package of that boat um, came from a whole variety of sources. We had we had input um, uh, from marketing, input from uh, Bob Blair, who's our main designer, was like the I guess would be the where the majority of the very specific things came from. So they uh, Bob Blair owns a company, a sub company called Speedboard. And if you go to speedboardusa.com, you can see his boards. They're racing offshore boards. Um, he makes like $6,000 racing stuffs or whatever. Anyway, he, um, uh, he did the hull design. He did the CAD work. Um, he made the initial plug that we worked on um, from there. And so the, you know, the initial concepts, okay, what kind of a bow? What kind of a, what's the look going to be? You know, just decided that it would be a, a piercing bow. Um, 
it would be um, versus a lifting bow. If you look at all of the the whitewater, or the, sorry, the fishing kayaks out there, they're all flared with, you know, with rocker in the front. Um, so when they go through waves, they go like this. Well, our bow goes straight through. Um, the hull, so with the plastic fishing kayaks, look like, you know, you see these crazy contours in the hull. There's only one reason for that. It's like, how do we take this super flexible plastic and mold it into this big thing and somehow have it not get just all out bent out of shape when the person puts it on racks, you know what I mean? Um, that's the whole goal is to add rigidity. There isn't any performance in that. We're able to make a board flat planing hull, super low draft because it's foam core carbon, right? So it's board stiff. Um, so we weren't, the plastic creates design limitations that you cannot do and um, for hulls, for example. Now, carbon has different design limitations. Plastic can do all these nooks and crannies and little sharp corners. Composites have to be smoother lines if you don't want to have resin and super heavy. You want it to be super light. So you're forced to have more flowing lines. So we, um, our mandate was like simple elegance is what we were looking for. So um, we wanted to be performance. So it's lowest draft, um, fast, stable, maneuverable, but with the ability to track well, good in nice calm water, good punching through, you know, breakers in the ocean. Like you punch through a breaker, water comes over the bow, it's straight out the back. You do that in any other boat, it fills up completely and all this, then you're, you're like, I mean, most people can't do it anyway, but those that try it, the scupper, it's like a bathtub and slowly it drains and lifts and then the next breaker you're done anyway. So anyway, it's just performance for the, the expert but it's also high performance for the for the um, the 80 year old lady that can't even try a fishing kayak because she can't even get it to the water. Now she can do it, get it to the water. It's got a swivel seat. She can go up, turn sideways, sit down, swing her legs over, push off, and go. Um, so that it what what helps the 80 year old person with a disability go paddling helps the super athletic, hardcore fishing person that's going to punch through the breakers, do things better also. It's kind of a neat combo. So let's let's talk price tag, because this is, this could be, I mean, well, go ahead. What's the retail price on this? <laughs> it's the most expensive kayak that I know of, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's $11,000. The, um, uh, the, how did we arrive to the price? It was really simple. My design process was, okay, we're gonna make the best kayak out there. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, what about, you know, this much, this is pretty expensive. Okay, we don't care, we're, we're making, we're not gonna spend money for no reason, but what are the right materials? What's the right process? Just to do the seat, it costs more money for me to make my seat than it costs to make a whitewater boat. Um, cost, I, my seat costs as much as a Nirvana to make, okay, with yeah. the seat, the whole deal, like with the grab handles and the hip pads and the back man, just the seat costs more than a, than a Nirvana, right? Um, now, well, why don't you make a cheaper seat? It's like because this is this. I wanted a lightweight swivel carbon fiber seat. Is there another way to do it? I mean, mass produced, we could get the price down. Let me shut that <laughs> off. <laughs> Hey, if that's somebody ordering a boat, take it. 
Which phone is it? Business phone, personal phone. I got two phones right here. It's like <laughs> anyway. The um, side the uh, hey John, you're having a fat tire too? Yes, sir. <laughs> By the way, I can get you more of that, and if you don't want to pay for it, I'll send you a couple of cases. You the man. I'll hit you up for that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> No, and all, and all serious. Let's back up. What is the reception? What, what what's been the reception of the retailers, the people you've worked with and known forever? When you say, "Hey, I got this sick boat. You need to bring in your shop. It's only going to cost you this many thousand dollars." How is that? How is that? How, how did that conversation go? So far, well, I'm pretty selective about who I've uh, called so far. Actually, had a call right before. Uh, right before we got on the phone, I'm not going to say who it was, just because I don't want to put anybody on the spot. And the person, the first one's like, let me think about it. I need to really think it's a big investment and whatever and blah, blah, blah. Um, but so far, we're batting a thousand. I have had every phone call I've had, every dealer has picked us up. Um, so, so why, I mean, why not cut the price by 30% and just sell them direct? The... Okay, good question. So there's twenty um, percent or some. I mean, some smaller amount. Um, yeah, I'm not advocating abandoning retailers, but of the pricey product like that. I am selling direct. I do sell direct. I did a Kickstarter, and the Kickstarter's over. The um, ApexWaterCraft.com will have a, a store you can buy direct. Um, in my opinion, the uh, and in my experience in the industry, the dealers are one of the most important aspects of that. And all, they provide infinitely more touch points. You can be the most savvy web dude of all time and social media and really have a big audience. You know, I've got 300,000 Facebook fans or whatever it is, right? But that doesn't mean I can do a post and sell a thousand boats right away, right? right it just, right. Um, this is a boat that doesn't do justice until you pick it up. When you take your first couple strokes, and you have a 35-pound fishing kite, you're like this while walking, you're like, oh my. When that happens, all of a sudden, that's what sells the boats. And um, so anyway, the dealers are critical, a critical part of my program. Um, my intention with Apex from the beginning is to start with a Kickstarter, and the purpose of the Kickstarter is to, for me to get direct interaction with the consumer actually selling the boat, and I wanted to do it in a way where those People that I aren't my friends that I've known for years, the ones I'm talking to, but new people that are never heard of Eric Jackson and they're just looking at the boat and see what they like and didn't like and whatever, so that I would be more prepared when we opened up the dealers. And I wasn't going to even call a dealer until July 21st when the Kickstarter's open, finished. But Dave Hall from uh, Kayak Instruction in Dallas, Texas called me. He used to be. In 2004, I opened up for Jackson Kayak he, in his townhouse there before he even had a retail shop, and he became one of our biggest dealers. Like he crushed it, and he's got an amazing uh, program of both teaching and selling. He sells massive amounts of fishing kayaks and whitewater kayaks, whatever in Dallas of all places. But um, he was like, "Dude, okay, man, like let's go. I want to sell your boats." And and so I ended up opening them up last week, and then I was like, "Yeah." I can't not call the other dealers. Now that I've opened a dealer, um, I'm going to go ahead and talk to the other one. So I started an outreach program, and so far I've talked to four dealers, and I've opened. Oh, if you like one of my dealers? This wasn't. This was totally random, but one of my dealers is Super Yachts, Tenders, and Toys. <laughs> 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 
What is that? It, we sell <laughs> a ton of ran skirts. <laughs> I know all about those. They sell, they sell like like fifty million dollar and up yachts, and and then the tenders for the yachts that usually start at you know like a hundred grand, meaning like the little boats that you go to the yachts start at a hundred grand, and then the toys for the yachts, which are like jet skis and those waterboard thingies that shoot you in the air and kite surfing and para glider doohickeys and and now apparently apex watercraft tier carbon fiber kayak that will match your yacht collar at no extra charge <laughs> oh nice yeah <laughs> see this well this is <laughs> this is the market <laughs> right i mean now, I, yeah, I mean coming from whitewater standpoint you know it makes no sense i mean to be honest you look at this you're like this is insanity and you talk about making the best thing you possibly can make but you know and and at least in our market, you're like, sure, I can make a, a $800 spray skirt, right? That, you know, the very best paddlers would really appreciate. But all the features of that we basically lost on most of my consumers, you know, they'd be overspending for what they're going to get. Yeah. And it's not going to enhance their paddling one bit, right? Yeah. Which I think would be the number one critique you'd have against an $11,000 fishing kayak would be yeah. that it, yeah, spending that kind not, of money is not going to catch you one more fish. Not, For most of these guys, the the, the the kayak is a means to an end, not the end itself. Yeah, right? that's, not, that's that's actually incorrect. That's actually where that's a this is a this is a topic I want to get into. So go ahead. Yeah, no, that's actually that's actually so an accessory. I mean, a paddle would say, but an accessory like a spray skirt is spray skirt's a critical part. Like if 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 every spray skirt blows every time you paddle. Yeah. blows off and then fill your boat fills with water and you create one that doesn't that's eight hundred dollars then people would need it and anybody who's anybody is going to buy it that that needs it needs that but if all the skirts will generally stay on and it's just a little bit lighter a little, a little more durable or easier a little bit easier to get on it's going to be tougher but if you have a kayak in bike and bicycles and bicycles you pay like a thousand dollars a pound to shave off, but you get more than just the weight savings. There's more to it for a $10,000 bike versus a $5,000 bike, whatever. This kayak is a third of the weight of the competitors. I have a, if, when I go kayak fishing, I'll have a huge advantage in two ways. If in tournament kayak fishing alone, let's just say, let's just talk about tournament fishing. Now, the tournament fishermen giving me a lot of shit, like that's not even look like a tournament kayak and blah, 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 and whatever. And it's like, well, Okay, well, that's fine. I don't really care what you say. All I care about is what's the deal. There's only two ways. There's only two ways a kayak can help you win a fishing tournament, right? Way number one is to get to places that other people can't get to before they get there. Um, and so one way to do that is that your boat is lightweight and you can go to unimproved public access points to launch, meaning you park somewhere, you run through the woods on park property and you long, long distance to some creek or whatever, and the boat floats shallower so you can get into shallower water or whatever, you can access points. This boat does that better than any boat, period. It's lighter by a third of the weight of any boat out there. And it took like, okay, so the lightest boat would be about... 78 pounds this is about 35 pounds so it's let's say 50 percent of the weight of the lightest ones but the boat that most people are fishing out of it's a minimum of a third so they're not doing that they're putting in at boat ramps and trying to go someplace so that's number one um way it gives you an advantage now the other way people are like 
Who's gonna? Now we're talking fishing. I know you want to talk whitewater, but this is a fishing kayak. So I'm giving you an example. Eleven thousand dollar fishing kayak, right? So this isn't a whitewater boat. The other way is you're allowed to have a three horsepower electric motor during a tournament in a fishing kayak. I think it's stupid. I think why would you have a kayak with a motor on it? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Just if you're gonna do that, you might as well put 250 horsepower into a really fast rate. But it's the rule. So. My boat goes six and a half to 6.7 miles an hour with three horsepower. Every other kayak out there that I'm competing against goes five miles an hour or less. I just go like this, bye bye, and I go Wah. But the flaw in your logic is that this is a tournament paddle, tournament people, which are like pro paddlers and not consumers, right? These guys aren't buying not, anything from you. Okay, so now you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're on the hammer factor, son. You gotta get it together. together. <laughs> Hi, honey. Hi. <laughs> I'm on a hammer factor right now. And, uh, can I get off the. Um, are people gonna pay $11,000 for my kayak? Hi, Christine. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> Okay, let me back up here. Let me get back up. All right, EJ. Let's just say, let's just say I have been very excited about this. I thought it was going to be in the five, six thousand dollar range. I wasn't quite expecting the home run there on the price, but <laughs> I gotta get her to text me. But keep going. I mean, I'm listening. Listening. Listen. 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 I'm giving you nuggets here. Nuggets. All right. I'll answer. I'll answer for him. Go ahead. All right. So <laughs> I fully agree with you. Texting. You I. Guys, you guys keep going. Yeah. 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 Look, I fully agree with you on the performance. Faster, easier to get in the boat, quicker with the motor, all the things that are going on in kayak fishing. But throughout following your Kickstarter campaign and whatnot, why can't we see you going faster than another boat, outracing it? Why can't we see you catching more fish? You know, have you just not had not time to convey that message? Because it's so, it's fragmented on what I'm getting, and so I want that value. I, I want it to come at me so people will be interested in it. But I can't see you catching fish. Why have you not shown some tarpon being pulled into this damn kayak? That's easy. That's really easy. That's really easy. my entire product launch. I went out my whole Kickstarter video. I got the boat done. I was going to launch in friggin' April, but this friggin' COVID nineteen thing. Like through like that started right when I launched the company. How many companies have launched from ground zero to launch during COVID-19? Well, I know one, Apex Watercraft. I'm sure there's others. But what kind of retard would do that, right? When people would say, like, <laughs> well, this could work to your favor. I mean, you know that there's no R word on the hammer factor. A lot of these retailers cannot keep product in stock, especially stuff that's made overseas. I mean, this could be really to your advantage, right? So, okay, yeah, I actually don't think it is a disadvantage, but it did cost me a lot more money and take a lot more time. My entire fair enough, fair enough. Kickstarter video, my entire Kickstarter video, every every shot you see me in a kayak was taken in one afternoon with Dane on with one drone and then some video in one place at Rock Island. We did one lap down Rock Island. That's all we did. And we videoed and we had a video ready. We already did the interview. Okay, we got the boat, boom, boom, we finished the boat, boom, boom. We video one shot down Rock Island, we, we get the clips and we throw it in and that's it. Now I understand there's a lot of missing ingredients 
in there. Like, this isn't a year's worth of promo video. This is literally three hours at Rock Island. That's my Kickstarter video. Is that ideal? No. But is is that going to have to do? Yeah, it's going to have to do. It's part of the deal, man. It's like, that's part of So now, since then, I'm like, people were hammering me like, dude, I don't even see the kayak in your video. You're not showing anything. This is all fluff or whatever. Like, okay, you need to see the rod storage. You need to see how fast it goes with a motor. You need to see this. And then I went a second time at Rock Island, and I took it down, and I put a torpedo on it, like a motor. And then I showed the rod holders, and started showing some details. My ne the next trip we're going to do, we'll do a trip to Florida, and we'll do some salt water. We'll punch through some waves. No, we'll no, check this out. Check this out. Just get two torpedoes, put one on the back of a Jackson boat, one on the back of your boat, and just get an aerial shot. I, no, I will never personally do that because I never may try to make something else look bad to make myself look good. Anybody who we'll cover owns the logos a, on it. It doesn't matter. Anybody who owns a kayak already knows that my anybody who saw that video that shows how fast mine goes. If they've done it, if they've got a boat, they know that I'm going faster than they've ever gone. So, I'm pulling for you here. I'm point. not. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not beating you up here. I want to see this thing happen, you know. And I'm just. Yeah, no, I, no, I, want... I know. I just, but that's why I'm not going to put a, a Jackson boat or whatever. Now, Chad Hoover is going to do that. <laughs> that <was less> <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because I just don't do that. But tell, um. Tell Jane. Tell Dane I got his uh, gold-plated uh, Jackson jersey from the Green Race last year. I got to send to him anyway. Yeah. Side yeah, Dane's been, Dane's been doing a good job for me. Doing um, uh, he's been um, he, all the video shots and all the photos, all the mass, all of my marketing shots. This whole COVID nineteen thing is unbelievable. So Dane would normally be in, he was in Malaysia or whatever the hell he was, Indonesia. I don't know. He was somewhere <laughs> and he flew home to get home, and then he's been here since like February. All he's right, never all been right. here for more than a couple of weeks. Can we so talk about Dane real quick? <laughs> Since we're on the subject. Yeah. Okay. First of all, are you? How hard are you working to get Dane out of Jackson, straight up <laughs> onto like I don't know, Liquid Logic or one of these guys? No, not at all. No, the, uh, are you kidding? I've got. I, I am kidding. Yeah, but <laughs> I want to hear your side. I want to hear your take okay, on it. Not, so, um, I'm. I still. I'm still an ambassador for Jackson Kayak. I want Jackson. I'm, Everybody that works nine miles up the road, there's a, there was 180 employees at one point under my employee. I hired a lot of, I mean, a lot of the people I didn't hire, but I hired all the top management. I hired most of the people, people that have been there for 15 years. I hired those people. I want those people to have jobs and be successful. The um, Dane, Emily, and Nick are all, are still, they've got, I, they grew up with the company. They've got jobs there. Um, bottom line is it, it made sense, didn't make sense for me to do whitewater because it's like, is there any way I'm going to get whitewater and that done at the same time? And can I make, and am I interested in making plastic right now? No. Will my kids only paddle, will Dane only paddle carbon boats? No, he needs plastic. Uh, will Emily only paddle carbon? No, she needs plastic. Nick? No. So until I'm ready, so that, so there's always going to be a job for them there at Jackson, and I don't need to pull them from Jackson. Let Jackson kite pay him while I'm, you know, building this business. So another question, uh, Dane. Arguably not. Ar I, I, I mean, almost not even arguable at this point. Maybe the best whitewater kayaker in the world right now, right? Running. I mean, what most people consider to be terrifyingly difficult whitewater. Does does that worry you? 
Are you concerned about this? <laughs> I mean, as a parent, I mean, as a fellow parent, I mean, I think about it. I think, I think about anytime, anytime anybody runs something that's um, uh, extremely dangerous, if you're not online, yeah. But um, do I worry? Um, I've got a lot of quotes about worry. Like one of them is, "Worry is interest paid in advance on a debt you may never owe." And I've had many problems in my day, most of which have never happened. And worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, only today of its strength. You sound so like coping mechanisms more than actual feelings. If you wonder whether I worry or not, um, hopefully that answers your question. I worry. <laughs> well, anyway, hold on one second. I beer something. You think of a question. Oh, I got a bunch. I got plenty. I got, yeah, I'm I, fully loaded. EJ gets up and walks off. I may cut this interview off. What's your time frame here, Mr. Grace? Now you got to leave. I got 15 minutes. So All right. We're good for 15 minutes. Hey, when are you going to ask me a good question? Like, what is the purpose of your logo and all that stuff? Like, like uh, I don't uh, care. Okay. So what's, <laughs> what's, what's Dane going to do post-kayaking? I mean, there's going to come a point in time when Dane is no longer going to be interested or he wants to move on. What do you think he's going to do? Is he going to work don't, at Jackson? or? Don't you feel like we should get Dane on for this part of the show? I want to hear his dad's thought on it. Okay. upstairs. I can pull him in anytime. They, um, you want me to grab him? Well, no, let's, let's keep, keep focused here. He's just up there. He's he's editing a video that I can't tell you what it is, but it's a, it's a Jackson kayak video. But I know all that. But um, and your idea. Tell <laughs> us about be... this new oh. boat. I saw a little uh, teaser messing with a uh, mold. What kind of boat is oh, it? Did? Oh, the new Jackson boat. Yeah. I can't tell you about it. Like I'm not. I've got video. I can't even show the video. I, I, I'm like, wait, why am I paddling this boat? I can't even post on it. Like that's stupid. Like I don't even work at Jack. I'm like, like oh, I got this cool man. Check this out. Like my so, Emily's like, Dad, you cannot post that. One and of the like, questions what? we were. One of the things we were talking about before you came on was talking about. I mean, you could argue about the financial the financial uh, uh, sensibility of making all the designs that you did, but you did when you were at the helm of Jackson. I mean, you made a tremendous amount of whitewater boats, right? And, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I mean, this was an enormous boon to many customers out there who, who, who needed a boat that fit them properly. The right? bigger and smaller boats in particular. Right. I mean, especially with you leaving Jackson and the way the industry is right now, I think the sport is going to be, I mean, the whitewater plastic boat industry is going to be very, very different. I mean, do you, would you agree with that? And what do you think it's going to look like? I mean, how's well, how's how are things going to shake out here? Well, people would say you've got to be an idiot to make a boat for a 30 to 80 pounder. You've got to be an idiot that's to right. make it. You know? In the words of somebody that's prominent in the industry, I'm not going to say, fat guys kayak, that's an oxymoron. But anyway, the um, <laughs> the uh, um, my approach to the sport, you know, as you know, I go to event to event. I go to rivers. I see. I demo. I just feel like I'm. I've paddled probably with 90% of the whitewater kayakers out there at least once. Um, just getting around everywhere. Um, the. I feel like. So I always wanted to have boats for everybody for what they needed, um, and that was more important to me than like. Like every time a consultant would come to Jackson Kayak and they would look at the spreadsheets, every time, 100% of the time, and I know this happens at every business because I was at Confluence, I was with Dagger, I was with Perception. I didn't see spreadsheets at Perception, whatever, but um, they would go and say, look at this. You only sold X amount of 
these boats out of that one mold of that size, and you sold a lot more of this. You should make more boats like that. And, and forget if you make more than just whitewater. If you make whitewater and fishing, you sold 2,500 boats out of the mold last year of that fishing boat, and it's four years old. And you only sold 250 boats out of that mold, and it's only two years old, and that's a whitewater boat. You should, and the, the, the expense of making the mold and all the R&D and the marketing, you shouldn't be making these. You really need to just focus on that. That is what every kayak brand deals with every day. And the only brands that will ever be, the only brands that will ever be doing the right thing for the consumer tells these guys, fuck off. But what I'm if they're losing money the every year? I'm going to make this boat. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you think. Well, what if they lose money year after year after year? I don't care year. that Some... you've got a master's in business. I don't <laughs> care that you think you're so friggin' smart. We're going to make it, and we're going to fucking make it. And, and guess what? We're going to succeed. That's what we're going to do. So you can just and yeah, what, what, what if that loses money every that year? Could be, that could be why I'm not at Jackson Kike. I'm, I'm starting to understand this board meeting. So, I mean, okay, so moving on. So, I'm getting some insight now into I, the meeting. Would, like, so going forward, you're, you're, you're financially – I mean, you're financially on the hook now for, for Apex, right? Yeah. I mean, the decisions you make now are going to have immediate effect on your on your – 100%. Yeah. Exactly. So now this is a chance for you to say, I'm going to run this business the way I've always wanted to run it, right? I mean, if I understand correctly, Jackson had other financial stakeholders that may or may not let you do what you want to do, right? Correct. But, but now you are, you are in charge. That's right. And the only limitation will be whether I have, you know, be, you know you're always limited by your resources, human or cash. So I'll do as much as I can with the cash and resources I have. And you'll go shy about them. You'll Go see what, so it, it's arguable. So, for example, it, you would say, like, what kind of idiot's going to make a boat for eleven grand and like hang their whole hat on a boat that's like so out there on price and whatever, and it doesn't even look like anything. Like, like, isn't aren't you taking a big risk there? It's like depends who you ask. You know, like for me, risk is. It's another expression. <laughs> okay, so, so there's if you if you want to do do anything extraordinary, well, you can't be ordinary. If you do anything like anybody else is doing, you're not doing anything extraordinary. And if Apex Watercraft is going to completely come in and revolutionize the market and do things nobody's, then you got to go that way. And it's not like oh, we're going to make a really expensive boat, so we're going to make the best boat. Oh, by the way, holy shit, it's going to be eleven grand. I was really hoping it was going to be like six to eight grand. It's like, but we didn't make a six to eight thousand dollar boat. We made an eleven thousand dollar boat. Okay, well, who's going to buy an eleven thousand dollar boat? Well, guess what? You're about to find out. And people have already bought the boat, and people are buying the boat, and a lot of people are going to buy the boat. Now, what's going to happen when I spend eleven grand? I've, I've got the guy I've got molding my boat literally made the F-22 Raptor. He made the first carbon fiber fighter jet for Lockheed Martin. He managed a $47 million per week budget doing nothing other than figuring out how to make a fighter jet out of carbon fiber. And he also brought a lot of the top bicycle companies into carbon fiber. He's molding, he's the guy, when you get an Apex watercraft, he literally was cutting the fight and, and infusing and making this boat. Um, does that mean it's gonna be perfect? Absolutely not. But it's like, 
we've got the right people doing the things with that kind of tech. We've got materials that we're already working with that kayaks have never seen, the industry's never seen. Um, why? Because he's the head of R&D for Enegra Fabrics, for example, and he's doing all these. Got, got this coating we put on the hull. Can't really tell you what that is, but anyway, we got this cool stuff that's coming up that um that he's able to do. That all that stuff is if I've got access to it, that stuff I can start bringing in different forms to the market, whether it be a whitewater kayak, a fishing kayak, or whatever we happen to do. Oh, by the way, he has two 40 horsepower electric ducted fans for this airplane that he makes. I'm going to be sticking that on my kayak. <laughs> like, literally, like, it's like, that's, oh, that's coming, by the way. It's like, I'm so excited. It's going to be so scary, though. Like, I'm, if I put little wings on the kayak, I will actually fly. Uh... the world's record for the fastest kayak, like, in the next 12 months. Is this scalable? I mean, what you're saying, it talks about something that's going to be a, like a, a cottage-type business, indefinitely. I mean... Talk about one guy who's doing all this. Uh, no, you, if you know anything about me, I only have I, I only like graphs that go like this. Okay, right. so um, but I'm to only, go like that, you're gonna have to go into cheaper boats, right? I and mean, you're gonna have to have a variety of boats to come in. Okay, so hat ten thousand dollar bikes are what make a three thousand dollar bike so much better. It's the it's the pushing into the halo bikes and John, you're a biker dude, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. So John Grace, meaning I don't know whether John Weld, whether you got bikes too or not, but John Grace, you've got what's your most expensive bike you've ever bought? About forty five hundred. Okay, that forty five hundred dollar bike has benefited greatly by the companies that made the ten thousand dollar bikes. So you think like, what? It's probably better than the ten thousand dollar bikes were. 15 years ago, 10 years ago would be my guess. The, um, the point is that 10 years from now, I'm forcing the kayak industry to make, product, to make a higher quality product at a lower price. I may or may not be the one that's making it, but we will elevate, we'll expect more from people who are going to try to get more of what I'm offering the customer at less money, and we'll figure out how to do that. But even if I'm selling more product, I'm hoping I can get the price down. I definitely want to. But it would require volume. It would require investment equipment and whatever that, you know. So it, at the moment, it, it is what it is. So. so regardless of the success of your Kickstarter campaign, this company is going forward. Uh, absolutely. So the Kickstarter, my, my real hope, don't tell anybody, but if the Kickstarter <laughs> just It's just us. <laughs> If the Kickstarter doesn't succeed, then my competitors are going to look at it. They're not watching the Hammer Factor anyway. They're going to look at it and go like, nah, I knew he was an idiot. See, he couldn't. His Kickstarter failed. Like, clearly, that's not a direction we want to go. And but isn't that, isn't that some kind of data point, though? It is. Well, but what is what is succeeding? I set the goal of 117,000. What should I set it at? I could have made it succeed guaranteed, not guaranteed, but I could have said it at 20 grand, I could have said it at 50 grand, I could have said it at a million. I said it, you know, one, less than 1% of Kickstarters ever get to 100 grand. Um, now, I'm not probably going to get to 100 grand. My guess is I'll probably get to 80 or something like that. Um, but even at the 80, if you look at, I'll be in the top, I'll be in the top 3% of, of Kickstarters. 
by the time I'm done. I'll, I can see, you can look it up. I'm at 54,000. What percentage of Kickstarters get to 54,000? I'll bet you I'm in the top 10% right now. But Is that successful? But you're re reconfiguring I, the data to to be to look good for you. I mean, I I think at the bottom line, you should be looking at that and be thinking, you know, I should we should be doing like, you know, this is some this is some indication of of a marketable product, right? Okay, I've sold six boats. I've sold six boats right. in uh, two week two and a half, two weeks, whatever. So I sold three boats a week. I sold five in the first week, and then one. This week, so six boats in two weeks, right? Yeah. So that's three a week. Direct online sold three weeks of. I've sold fifty-four thousand dollars worth of stuff in, um, or two weeks. I mean, well, guess what? That's successful. Um, yeah. this is for sight unseen. It's not even done. Extremely limited amount of, extremely limited amount of information. Total sticker shock. All that I still sold six boats, and I'll, by the end I've sold more. And and then anyway, the from my perspective, I would have liked it to fund. I would have I wanted to sell let's say 25 boats. I didn't, and I was like, oh my god, I'm not gonna sell 25 boats in the three weeks. Okay, well I've got a $375,000 loan at Security Federal Bank in McMinnville, Tennessee, and I've got like $15,000 left on the credit line. Well, if it doesn't fund, guess what? We're at the end zone. We're out of money. We totally fail. Okay. Well, then you're just like, well, I've got fifty-four thousand dollars worth of people that have bought stuff. I contacted each one. Are you guys good to go if this doesn't fund? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we want this boat. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, then I guess I should probably call. And I had a dealer call me. I wasn't going to open any dealers until after the Kickstarter. And I'm like, okay, so you, he's like, I just want to order him. He started ordering boats. I got my first check in the mail today. Revenue started, and I'm selling, anyway, I'm selling boats right now and collecting money. So anyway, the, um, <laughs> so are you, I'm, are you, I'm like, are you the very bottom, I'm like, this is a total, like for the next three months, it's like, I have, it's go time. Like I have to sell boats and collect money. Right. And build this thing up, and, and absolutely, it's not like I can go and just borrow more money. Like I'm all in. Are you gun shy about taking an equity partner in? Gun shy? Yeah, I'm, I'm bazooka shy, nuclear bomb shy. <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. right now, um, it's much. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely gun shy. I'm not. I'm the only thing better than being majority owner is being sole owner. Um, I want to. Um, my intention is to remain sole owner for the indefinite period of time. I could change my tune on that when I'm, but I, anyway, I don't want to do what I did at Jackson Kayak. Yeah. I hear you. EJ, I'm going to back up here a little bit. Um, I, it's exciting. I think if you, if you show this boat performing the way you've talked about it on this show and, and you can actually show that, see some big fish being caught in it, get to some places. And I know that you'll do that over time. I mean, you're as tenacious as anybody. I think it'll, it'll really add to the success. Um, I want to back up a little bit. I got to, I got to run here in a little bit, but most of our audience, they're 25 to 35 years old. They're whitewater kayakers. And let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about, I just, last time we had you on the show, we didn't jump into some of the things that I've always wanted to know is like, you know, 
what advice would you give to a paddler out there who's just wanting to get good? You know, we get emails all the time. I'm paddling class three. I want to paddle some class four. You know, like how how do you how would you give someone advice? You know, how did you make it happen? Okay. Um, yeah. So being good at whitewater kayaking is a combo. It's um, number one. It's having the basics down. So and the the basics for me are strokes and concepts, rolling and bracing, and then your river running skills. And then you have your specific skills related to either play boating, racing, or steep, steep whitewater stuff. So if you're not really proficient, really good at your rolling and bracing, if you spend more than a second underwater when you tip over, well, you're not really good at rolling and bracing. So, and every time you roll, and if you don't roll often enough, you're not gonna be confident. If you're not super confident at your roll, you're not gonna progress, it's a challenge. Same with the brace. If you feel like you're gonna tip over all the time, um, and you don't know that you can brace, like you're falling over, they can catch yourself all the time. The confidence is down, your learning curve is flattened. One. The second one is um, your strokes and concepts. If you're not super efficient at maneuvering your boat, and most of the information in strokes and concepts is bullshit, meaning like the ACA manual and whatever, like this stuff that's out there, it's old, outdated, and incorrect. There's more old wives' tales and bullshit information of how to paddle your boat in whitewater kayaking than, I don't know, maybe every sport has it, but it's terrible. There's a lot of bad information out there. They say those who can do and those who can't teach. Um, now, the, the, the reality, that that's the reality in most situations. It's really difficult to find teachers that actually know how to paddle and can demonstrate. So you need to figure out, make sure you get your information from the right sources. So where should you get the information from the best paddlers in the world? Um, why did I create EJ's Strokes and Concepts program? Because I, I saw all the best slalom racers back in the day. They're super good racers, and then they would dis disappear. And all the information they had and all the skills they had went with it. They didn't transfer it to anybody. No interest to Bill Endicott was the only one that wrote books, kind of analyzed how these top slalom racers got good. But it was always very specific to slalom. And it wasn't necessarily, anyway, so it was specific, and it was so old, it was 80s and 70s, whatever. So that's when I did it, when I realized that information wasn't available. So I wanted to at least provide what I knew to people. So that's where that came from. And if you want, why is Dane so good? Because he got the basics from the beginning, and he really likes it, and he's confident in his role, he's confident in his brain, he's got really good stroke. And of course, now he gets to paddle a lot, so... Then the next one is a lot of people approach paddling. If you look at people that get into slalom, they want to be in the Olympics or they want to be a world champion or whatever. They approach it from the, the wrong perspective, I believe. Where they It's like it's just this end goal. But what they do every day isn't super fun to them. So making sure that whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing every day is super fun that you want to do it over and over and over. So like the best people that win the green race, you know, that go and do well in the green race over the years, the Tommy Hillikes and Pat Keller, like that. Why were they good? Because they loved running the green. They run it every day. It wasn't because, oh, I have to run the green so I can win the race. Like, I'm going to run the green because it's fun. And who's shooting firecrackers? Somebody's shooting firecrackers. Really loud, no? It's Geltman's chair, I think. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, the um, so making making sure that you really enjoy the part of the sport you're in 
and you're doing it because it's fun. I think that is the, the, the critical part. Um, if you're going to get good, you're going out, you're just, you're going to go and do it over and over and over again. Um, and if you're not having a lot of fun with that specific thing, find something else that is fun. Um, uh, those are the main ones, I guess. Um, obviously there's a lot of information online. You can kind of see what people are doing or whatever. But at the end of the day, you get your basics down. I don't care if you're a class five voter. Class five voters better get their fucking roll down. Like, then half the class five voters suck at kayaking. They're never going to get better because they until they get their roll down. And then they need to do some play boating because until they learn how to get out of holes, they're going to be a, every time they get to a rapid with a hole, it's going to be a problem. Or if you're a play boater and you don't spend any time on the steep stuff and deal with rocks, every time you get new, you see a bunch of rocks, you're going to freak out and not know what to do. So anyway, it's also the the variety pack is really good. So um, uh, if you look at the truly the best kayakers in the world, they they have a broad skill set, but it usually starts that really good at rolling and bracing. And who gets good at rolling and bracing? People that do that a lot. And what's the one way to roll a lot and, and brace a lot? Do a play boating. Um, who's good at river running skills? People that creek boat a lot. Um, you combine those two things, and then that's how you get really good. Is that you should get out there and surf holes, surf waves, go run some rivers, and mix it up. Now, of course, fitness is a part of it too, but that's fitness doesn't come in as nearly as much as technique until you get to the very top of the sport. What would you do different if you were starting Jackson Kayaks right now? At Jackson? What would you do different if you were starting Jackson Kayaks right now? Like, what are you doing different now that you learned from your time at Jackson? Uh, you know, the only, the one thing I did wrong at Jackson Kayaks, I, I priced too low in the beginning. So we were successful at selling boats, but we we didn't make enough money to be super strong financially early on. Um, the when all of my competitors were making super making linear kayaks for ten a thousand to eleven hundred bucks, I was making crosslink, which is way more expensive kayaks, for nine hundred dollars um, with forty percent margins when they had thirty something percent margins. So meaning um, the amount of money I was collecting, you know, uh, I was I was collecting probably two hundred dollars less per kayak or $180 less per kayak than my competitors for a kayak that cost me a lot more to make. Um, that was a mistake. And how does that, but the customer's like, yeah, but I saved money. It's like, yeah, but the reality is when, if a business doesn't make enough money, then uh, in the end you get hurt by it because what they can actually afford to do isn't as much. Now my partner Tony was really was was awesome, and he was able to invest, which is how I ended up losing control. Once, you know, as we kept growing, we didn't have we couldn't afford to. You know, we bought a hundred thousand square foot factory, and then we bought a three hundred thousand square foot factory, three hundred twenty thousand square foot factory, and we employed one hundred eighty people and all these ovens and one of the biggest factories out there, and it's like huge. Um, that kind of investment, you, you need the profits to support it, but we got investment to support it. We had profits. Um, but not enough to do what we were doing. So if I were to start over, I wouldn't have started at 899 and go to 849 in 20, 2005. I would have started at 1050 where everybody else was. 
and um, and maintain higher pricing, we would have we would have done better. At, we would have been financially stronger out of the gate, and I probably would still be a majority owner. That was my it was my mistake and my call. So it wasn't nothing to do with anybody else. It was all me. Well, being removed from Whitewater EJ, it's going to be a different scene out there. You know, I I hope Apex Apex makes some kind of compositor. Some kind of whitewater boat at some point. I'd just love to see it. I don't know how it works. I don't. I couldn't even begin to speculate on the finances of it all. But it would be cool to my see some other material before I'm too old to kayak. Yeah, some of my last my last whitewater design, the last boat I designed with David Knight will come out at some point in the future for Jackson Kayak, and that would be like my last my last hurrah Jackson Kayak um, as far as whitewater boats. So um. You know, I designed wave sport boats from 97 to, till 2003. And then 2003, I started designing for Jack, you know, Jackson kayak boats. We launched our first boats in 2004. So 2020, 16 years later, we'll launch my last boat that David Knight and I designed together. Um, he's still designing Jackson kayak. I don't actually know what they're working on, if they're working on stuff like you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's like now I could ask, and I don't. I don't even ask. Like Emily's right there, like Dane. Like, like I'm, I'm just kind of like, hey Dane, are we making it? You guys working on a new boat? I don't know. Anyway, so, <laughs> maybe, right. Shut up, Dad. Stay out. <laughs> You're not doing anything. Leave me alone. As far as I go, like, um, I, I paddle a hundred days a year in whitewater. That's still more than most people. It's not 300 days a year like I used to, but it's not nothing, right? So though, anybody who says I'm not white a whitewater paddler, I challenge any of them to a race, a freestyle competition. I don't care whether it's a sprint, an endurance, <laughs> what it is. Right now, uh, anybody that says I'm not a whitewater kayaker, I challenge them to anything, uh, right? You know, well, EJ, you're just race. EJ's just like the rest of us, man. He just he he, he like got he got into white water and it ruined him. It ruined you. You had potential, <laughs> EJ. Just like yeah, well had potential, just like I had potential. <laughs> All right, so well, the point is that I I also like designing white water boats. I've been doing it. My first white water design with David Knight was in 1992. That's uh however many years ago, 28 years ago. Or whatever it is, um, yeah, 28 years ago. So um, I have no interest in in stopping making whitewater boats. I think but, I know how, what I want. So at some point, I'll. Would I you rotor mold these boats? To be clear, is rotor molding in the pipeline at some point? There's no immediate plan for rotor molding. There's this amazing rotor molding facility right up the road at Jackson Kayak. And the way I like, here's how I sell. You know, I mean, do you have a non? Do you have any kind of listen, with these guys? I've Non-compete. No. Rule number one for EJ, by definition, all I do is compete. Signing a non-compete is like signing a non-breathe. I've never non-compete and I never will. There will never be any situation where I'll see a non-compete and go, oh, I'll sign that. <laughs> like, no. no. I'll be in violation the second I sign it because I'm going to go compete. <laughs> so is Dan going to come to the green race in an Apex longboat this year? That's what I need to know. Oh no, probably not. The um, okay. but uh, you should the, race the you should race the. I haven't, a, no, I haven't made a new a new 
I haven't made any whitewater boats and, and yet. Um, the but anyway, so wait, I was going to tell you my line. You've missed my line, man. So my lines. How many beers you had? Fifty-seven <laughs> brands out there making plastic rotor-molded kayaks that are sold in the U.S. Just fishing kayaks, and there's like forty some brands that are selling plastic rotor-molded kayaks. Um, but the way I do it in fishing, there's thirty-seven brands making rotor-molded fishing kayaks out there. There's one making a carbon fiber, high-performance fishing kayak. So there is a boat. Out of those 47 brands, if you're looking for something between $399 and $6,000, and all these different configurations between, you know, like 80 pounds and 150 pounds or whatever, pedal, paddle, whatever, there's something for you. But if you're looking for a super lightweight, high-performance fishing kayak, now, yes, it happens to be 11 grand. There's just one of them. Here's one for you. So I'm making something different. Um, ultimately, when I get into, or if I get into whitewater stuff. <laughs> <laughs> A little slip, my man. <laughs> um, what will be, and when it will be, who knows. But, um, you know, anyway, it's... Um, Right now, I'm very happy. When I go whitewater kayaking, if I do freestyle, I'm in. Um, the last time I paddled, well, the last time I paddled, Sip City, I paddled in a new boat nobody's ever seen. Um, but ever, uh, the last time before that was in, a, in Jackson Rockstar. Um, I think it's the best freestyle kayak available. And um, out there, I'm very happy. I designed that with David Knight, and I had input from Dane and Nick and Emily and Matthew Zumalone and all these people. Very happy with the boats that I'm paddling. They're all boats that I've designed or with David Knight. So um, uh, when it gets, if all of a sudden I'm the boats that are out there are boats that I didn't design, it's going to get me pretty motivated to start designing boats anyway. Okay. Well, we have reached the end. Do you guys have anything for EJ? Because oh, I could go on and on, but we do need to wrap this up. Thank you so much for coming on the show, EJ. Always a pleasure, hey, man. man. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, happy. man. Yeah. Good to see you guys, Lewis. Good, good to see good, you, man. man. <laughs> yep. It's been a while. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show here at some point, EJ. And dude, the boat looks cool. I think it looks cool. I mean, I wasn't quite ready for the eleven grand, but the boat is cool. So when you uh, get over the sticker shock, it's okay. Uh, anyway, so sorry about the sticker shock. It wasn't intentional. It is what it is. And um, but thanks for having me on, guys. When I'm looking at like history right here, you know, like that's <laughs> awesome. Oh, God. All right, we'll see you, man. We are history. All right. <laughs> oh man, that was great. Yeah, well, there you go, Eric Jackson. Eleven grand is just a lot. I mean, well, he made a good point, and listen, I'm I'm still dubious, right? I mean, there's a lot of flags here. I mean, I, I personally think when you do a Kickstarter for it to be successful, your Kickstarters typically should be like 5x your goal, right? That's when you know you have marketability. Um, and I understand, you know, what he's saying about, um, you know, that's not his only his only indication whether it's going to succeed or not. But I do like the idea of him pushing the envelope on pricing on boats. I do too. And, and the uh, whole that, that has to happen. The whole design and everything that's going on there is like, I mean, I think there's some real merit to it in the fishing world. I just, oh, I wish he would have just shown through all of that material something that showed the boat actually going faster than another boat with that electric motor or 
or catching a big fish or something. I feel like there's just a lot left on the table with the way this thing rolled out. Yeah, but. and I, I wanted to bring this up, but there's just so much, you know, he's a talker and there's so much to going on. But, you know, why go through all the trouble to make the best boat you possibly can and not put forth the best marketing you possibly can? Yeah, it's always a struggle. If it was easy, everybody would, would be doing it. But anyway. Yeah. I could have went on and on. I had a whole list of EJ here about, you know, yeah. whitewater and whatever, but we'll pick his brain at some later point. I'm sure EJ is not going away. No. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm just like, I'm so, like, it's just a reminder. I'm just like so glad that guys like EJ are in the sport. It's like, right. you just like, you need that. Like, you need like the EJs and the. Who form. has the energies? It takes so much energy to keep something like that going. Yes. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Just, I mean, yeah, so much like, energy and so much negativity surrounding anybody who does that. And like, <laughs> I mean, so just, people telling him he can't do it. <laughs> just like, like, I mean, just him and Corin, right? It's like those guys. Like, I mean, as much as big of personalities as both of those guys are, I mean, where would the sport of kayaking be without EJ and Corin? Like, it would be in a very different place. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. Now EJ's out there and he's still doing it. Um, okay. Guys, I got to run now to everybody's favorite section of the show. This is our Rants and Rays, where our host going a little bit of rant, a little bit of rave. Who wants to lead us off? I'll go. Let's hear it. I got a rant. Ooh, okay. We run we run the store in White Salmon, a little store, a retail store there. The law where we are is when you come in the store, you wear a mask. It's the law. I didn't make this up. I didn't make it up. It was, it's not our doing. It's the law. Don't come into the store and start and start discussing why you're not wearing a mask. I don't care. It does not matter to me. It matters to me as much about your appealings on seatbelts or smoking in a bar. I do not care. Right? Everyone's used, people come and use it as an excuse to, as like a, a venue to talk about whatever nuttiness they want to bring up about why they're not wearing a mask. Don't care. Right? I, I, and you hear about these things happening, but when you actually see it happen, you're like, Jesus Christ. It's like, right? de- it's like dealing with my sister's kids or something. Like, I don't... What? <laughs> you make a square, right? Down one side, you say, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And across the top, you say, mask wearing works, doesn't work. Guess what? If you wear a mask, you win no matter what. Okay? <laughs> and you can put a little side column there that says, I'm an asshole, and check both of them. You can be an asshole and still wear a mask. That doesn't exclude you from wearing a mask. Right? <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a simple little decision tree you can make, right? Oh I can still God. be an asshole and wear a mask. It's a win <laughs> across the board. Oh, God. All right, I'm going to rave about the Green River simply because it's always running and it's great for kayaking, but the terrain in there, and the mountain bikers wait, 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 and wait, the wait. people you're, who you're come out the for there. River. Yeah, I just am going to rave about the Green River because it's it's been my escape. Do you Go know what I'm saying? Go back to the poop in a bag or something. Uh, and I'm just, sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm just I'm telling you. The All people right. the people that it brings out and just like, God, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just sick. It's just sick. I mean, there's a hundred mountain bikers out there in this terrain that, like, you normally would not want to go mountain biking, and they were just loving it. It's the same thing with kayaking. It's like this area of kayaking that most kayakers wouldn't want any piece of, but they're just out there loving it. So, just gonna rave about Mama Green. Easy, easy rave for me. I had a couple rants, but I'm gonna keep it positive. I like that. 
I feel, I feel like this is less of a rant because I can't blame those responsible. Well, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna rant about my sadness that we can't go to Canada this summer. It's just like is killing me, man. I want to be in BC so badly right now, and I can't say that I blame the Canadians one lick for not wanting us up there right now. And it's just, it's just so soul crushing that our country is just such a fucking debacle like the culture that walks into ir and wants to talk about why they're not wearing a mask the the culture that thinks that this is some like personal freedom issue the the leadership who those people have put into office who are just allowing this thing to turn into smoldering dumpster fire uh it's just i want to go to canada man i want out that's all i got Go to OutdoorAlliance.org. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like this LWCF thing could really happen in the next six days. Yes, thank you, Grace. Like, no kidding. And I'm with you. It's a bummer. We're locked. I mean, we're locked. We're locked in for the. You're not leaving this country for the next till spring next year at the earliest. Nobody's gonna want us in there. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, sorry to cut it off there at the end, but I have some things that I got to take care of. Adios. Bye-bye.